What's up? Can a ghost come up in your crib? Man, fuck you. I'll see you at the next Awaken Hunt. Ah, Colorhead, don't hate me because I'm a real Claymore. Maybe if you got rid of that old yee-yee-ass hair color you got, you'd climb in ranks. Oh, better yet, maybe Claire, the best number 47, will call your weak ass if she's ever done with that former number one or that human boy she's been fucking with. Failed creation. <laughs> <laughs> What's up, guys? It's Weeb's Waifus and Wonders coming at you with an episode about Claymore, the manga. And uh, we're your hosts, I'm Cyborg. And I'm Garg. And let's fucking jump right into it. What's Claymore about? There's... Let me have a brief moment of silence to formulate this correctly. Claymore is a manga series about half-demon witches that fight demons with Claymore swords. Um, the I think the thing that makes it stand out, because that does make it sound very generic, is that it's almost like a horror manga with the way it's presented, but I don't think I was ever scared, if that makes sense. It's just horrifying and grotesque, and I, I'm not, I'm not going to say it's overly gory, but the type of like gore and wounds it shows can be like really uh, visceral. Yeah. And so I, I think like what what makes Claymore unique for me was that you have these beautifully composed fight scenes and these like really uniquely designed monsters as you get deeper into it that are really interesting and I find it comparable to something like uh is there really anything I can think of that it's really similar to? Oh, oh, okay, wait. I was thinking about this earlier. So I'll just say real quick that I haven't um, caught up with the Jujutsu Kaisen anime. I've only watched the first 10 episodes. But I hear a lot of people praise Jujutsu Kaisen for being a battle shonen that like never misses a beat. It's one great fight after the next uh, with like no like downtime. Um, and I think Claymore does that really well. It's very much like one big fight after one big fight, you know. Um, sometimes you even have multiple fights going at once that you're kind of like jumping between like a subplot. But yeah, I think that's definitely strengths. And I almost want to say, I don't know if anyone uses this term, but I want to call Claymore a battle seinen. <laughs> Does that make sense to you? Like a battle shonen is like a shonen jump uh, anime that's like, <laughs> you know, My Hero Academia, Demon Slayer, Jujutsu Kaisen, um, fucking Naruto, you know, whatever. Uh, but a battle seinen is that, but a seinen. <laughs> I, I I like I like battle seinen as the descriptor here. So I, I okay, so I thought of it, and the two anime that I would say kind of stick out to me as something that's similar uh-huh. is Attack on Titan in the sense of the 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 monster designs in that case the Titans and the like the level of like gore and like grotesque faces and all this scary looking stuff without really being horror i guess and the other one i can think of is some of the later designs that are like sleeker to kind of not spoil that is um more similar to like devil man crybaby if or devil man in general but i know devil man crybaby is the more recent one that's come out have you seen that uh no so they've got the the demons in that that i think uh some of the, the monster designs look similar to, 
and like the really cool, interesting ways that the the monsters can look in Claymore, right? Yeah. So you get a lot of unique designs. Early on, it's going to show a lot of uh, Yoma that more or less look the same. Mm-hmm. But by the time you get past the, what well, I think it's as soon as the capital arc, uh-huh. where they go to the Rabana capital pretty early on, everything after that, most of the monsters have really crazy cool designs to them yeah i'll say it it does have a little bit of a slow start but you quickly like reach a a very accelerated pace it almost gets too fast sometimes i feel like yeah like i feel like the way it handles the time skip was very abrupt to me like it, it felt like i fucking i was going at you know 100 miles per hour on one road and then i blink and i'm on another road yeah it really did feel like that yeah um so uh let let me just go over some some broad view things that i thought about while reading it Uh the faces are drawn in such a way that it did put me off into like an uncanny valley effect especially when they're drawn straight on the artist doesn't detail the nose very much or it's just like barely two dots on the face and the faces definitely get better as the manga goes on, it's, and it's always nice to see that art evolution. But what the artist does do a really good job with those faces, even from the get-go, is they can look really disturbing and very monstrous, right? Yeah. But I would say one of the, the weaknesses of that is also that uh, I got kind of like character blind with all of the Claymores being women with light-colored hair. Yeah. And, like, it was hard to, like, interpret their faces as different. It, some yeah, of the, yeah. the Claymores are very unique. Yeah. Yeah, I think the two biggest contributors to that, like, they probably could have shared a hair color, like, all of them, the same exact hair color. But I, I think what really kind of uh, created that, like, like you said, character <laughs> blindness is the the early faces definitely are, like, they really do feel like the eyes and mouth. Not the head shape, but specifically the eyes and mouth are like copy pasted it almost feels like in the uh in the early chapters it does get better but yeah so with that and with them all wearing the like same exact fucking uniform with the only differentiator being the like very small stick figure icon that identifies them it was pretty rough i'm glad that they eventually give some different character design or like outfits and stuff and eventually becomes like a group of seven claymores that travel together with claire being one of them and they feel very distinct from each other which is great yes i I definitely don't want to put anyone off by saying that because the everything else about the art the composition of the fights the the cool backgrounds especially later on the way the fights are presented and everything is great Absolutely. I'm glad you said that. I I completely agree because it has some really beautiful shots. Uh, One thing I will say is comparing it to Berserk, both have really strong, uh, and when I say composition for the action, I mean, it's laid out on the page well, and especially in the sense that the action is on the page in a sense that it helps you understand the motion. Yeah. It's not just like jumping from like one attack to the next or something it's showing you the full range of what they're doing and yeah like you said it, it kind of like 
feels you can kind of feel the motion okay so the uh, author for claymore is uh nori hiro yagi mm-hmm. and apparently that wasn't the person i was thinking of that was the assistant of uh kentara miera but he he definitely has um a similar style to miera in a lot of ways yeah so i i would definitely say there's a there's a spiritual there's connection. A similarity yeah yeah um well yeah so i i think both of these manga claymore and berserk have has some really great spreads um if you know here this will be nice and not spoilery at all um if you know what panel i'm talking about the superb that one dude fucking excellent 10 out of 10 (laughs) you think we could just get away with just the the lion face saying superb that's not really a spoiler that's true yeah yeah i think you could get away with just the the face yeah i might just post that as a crop from the page then because i love that scene it's so good dude okay yeah so i kind of want to jump into some uh some early early damn i wanted to come up with like a good burke burke to berserk something short for claymore but i couldn't think of anything um claimer clamor 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 <laughs> all right can we talk about the king the best waifu the best husbando rocky uh <laughs> i love how i brought him up before claire but uh from early on you meet rocky and his brother is basically the first like yoma you see i think and the yoma fucking eats is is imitating his brother i should say um and he eats his fucking uncle who they're living with. And his parents were already killed by Yoma years ago. So pretty much Rocky's life has been fucked up by Yoma. And Claire is the Claymore that gets dispatched to fucking hunt that Yoma. And then kind of like they start traveling together because Claire feels bad for him. And uh, then their relationship grows from there. And Rocky is is a great a great character for so many reasons um he's very he's not like he's not like your typical young male hero type i I was gonna say specifically he wasn't like we were talking about uh keichi being like an insert character yeah he's definitely like the person you're supposed to be in the shoes of as far as an insert character goes but he is completely different than what you would normally expect from that sort of character exactly yeah yeah because it's not so much about like justice or power for him it's more like he really enjoys his relationship with claire and like claire's ability to i guess protect people and so he just wants to be powerful enough to stay like by her side and travel with her and be with her so that that's like his main motivation it's not like anything like morally good necessarily you know what i mean yeah, he's he's not motivated by his like morality or his sense of justice. He's m- motivated by not to say he lacks us, right? But he's motivated by looking up to a uh, mentor figure slash sort of romantic interests. <sighs> yeah. Oh come on! I mean, <laughs> you know, uh, someone said something near the end of the <laughs> manga. Come on, dog. He's getting it in. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> he's going he's getting that claymore gushy 
that Claymore gushy. Um, I really like Rocky. I like one of the things that I like that stands out about him is that he is basically the only major human character, not counting the handlers in the organization. Uh huh. Because other than that, it's like the the two guards in Rabona who show up in one chapter or a couple of chapters while they're in Rabona and then show up the next time a character's in Rabona, but that's it. Uh-huh. Uh, a Galk and the other guy. Uh, yeah, I can't remember his name, but I mean, they show up a good bit in the later half of the manga. Yeah, but like, just saying, of the human characters, there really aren't that many that are major. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, that's very true. So, one, he's the, he's, you're, you're human in the group, and it's always good to root for fellow humans but a lot of i think claymore's the logic of claymore's world is that humans will overcome these monsters through like human intelligence human ingenuity human compassion uh yeah human compassion i'm willing to say that that's kind of fits into the themes yeah those are those are the things that allow the humans to excel over the Yama, right? Yeah. And so for me, Rocky being able to be a human character and eventually learn a little bit about the sword and everything, it that he is the like fundamental like messaging of the manga in the sense that like I even feel like Claire being like a weaker Claymore is in sort of the same boat. Mm-hmm. Where it's her ingenuity that uh helps her win, right? Yeah. And it's not there. I think there's a lot of like battle shonen that well, j- really just a lot of action fantasy series where it's just very clear that the person with more power wins, right? Yeah, yeah. The like power fucking scaling shit where you know, or, or like someone's power level, um, like you would get from like you know, something like Naruto. We'll, we'll just use Naruto as like a good example because I think it's descriptive. Um, but it'll be like, you know, fucking Rock Lee is just never going to win against, um, I don't know, Itachi. And it's unfortunate. <laughs> we all love Rock Lee, but, uh, the power, the power level is just too different. But in Claymore, even when someone's like insanely powerful and has a super high power level, even a human could deal a blow given like a good chance. Right? Yes. Yeah, so it's like there's always the opportunity for the underdog to or in like a significant like huge power gap underdog um to pull off something clever um as a way of, you know, just getting enough damage and to fucking like immobilize them or something. I also think there's a case where because you always know it's possible for the the heroes to come out on top despite like a power difference. Yeah. It's a lot easier to really drop me into like the deepest depths of hopelessness while reading it, right? Because if everything's just hopeless from the beginning, like if it, if you present to me an uh enemy that's just way too powerful to ever be taken on, right? Yeah. That I never have the hope in the first place to be dashed. Yeah. I kind of feel like it's a similar thing to what we were talking about with Higurashi, where your spirits have to be lifted before you can be scared again. Yeah. So just the the fact that it 
really seems like anybody could win in Claymore. Mm-hmm. And it's not a case of insane power di- differentials, which there are, but there's always like the chance there, right? right. There's always cases of, uh, you know, the characters outsmarting the villains. And there's always these like interesting, like rock, paper, scissors type matchups, which I like. I don't think there's anything blatantly like that, but like there's the like two different types of warriors as far as like the offense style warriors and the defense style, style warriors go. Uh-huh. And I, I think just all those elements make it more interesting and make me more invested. And that investment can lead to just feeling so much more hopeless when the villain starts just, you know, slaughtering people, right? Yeah, definitely. I think combat in any medium of entertainment um i think they need to have like two core kind of pillars and that's like the i guess you could say choreography of the battle and like you know seeing the fists fly or the swords clash or whatever and then the other big pillar is surprise attacks because you're telling a story and you're not gonna like keep attention if it's just like one person overpowering the other, right? Um, right? Like fucking beating them into a corner for 10 minutes. Like, you know, no, no one's going to fucking watch. This is not like interesting. So, yeah, the surprise attacks, you think about any fucking like battle shonen you've watched or any action anime. Um, th- that's like always the turning points of the fight. And even if like, you know, you see it like, oh, damn, that surprise attack really did some damage. But then they try to do something similar again. And the enemy's like, yeah, that only works once, chump, you know, and fucking <laughs> starts beating their face in again, you know? So, yeah. Um, I, I, I really enjoy the pacing of Claymore's fights. And like you said, it, it, it does always have, like, this air of hopelessness. And because it's so fast, well, I'm not sure where I want to take that sentence, but it's great. The combat is, like, its strongest, I think, Claymore's strongest um, attribute. Which is good, because the majority of the manga is sword fighting. Yeah. So if you're, <laughs> or something similar. Yeah, if you're looking for a manga with less of the, like, less of the My Hero Academia school arcs, or the... Uh, the demon slayer silly shenanigans in between like you know in downtime or whatever if you're looking for something with less of that and more of the like really intense hard fights then claymore will be right fucking up your alley i guarantee it so go, go, uh looping back to the hopelessness thing for a second uh-huh the one really strong parallel I could draw between Berserk and Claymore is they both have a lot of thematic similarities to like the Soulsborne games, like Dark Souls. Yeah, where it, the, it's the it's it is the hopelessness and it's the the really interesting monsters and like the kind of weird morality questions that get asked in Berserk and Claymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of my favorite things with any like fantasy series isn't just like the fantastic elements but it's the fantastic elements used to like pose an interesting ethical question that's just not something that would come up in Uh real life so it's like pure theory crafting but it's fun and i think claymore has like a lot of good moments for claire especially as far as 
like her moral development and her choices uh-huh while still kind of giving like claire despite being like the the most clear-cut hero of the story i'd say is it like anywhere near like the level of i don't even know what word i want to use she's no hero yeah she's in that sense i think she's also kind of similar to guts but i would even say guts is more heroic than she is yeah yeah i get what you mean and like not yeah not to attack her character but she's not that kind of character right and i think pairing her with rocky who is like very much a let's fight to get this solved <laughs> um kind of hero or, or uh protagonist I, I shouldn't say hero but um you know kind of like kind of like the classic like if you think so western cartoons like um like finn from adventure time or um damn i'm trying to think of i'm, I'm really high i had examples and now i'm losing them fuck but yeah you know kind of like the oh you're you're gonna fucking stand in my way or oh you're gonna do something rude to me or one of my friends like Let's fucking fight, <laughs> you know, because <laughs> I'm looking at this panel where, like, Sid, who's one of the guards in Ravona, Sid and Galk, Sid says something really shitty about Claire, or, like, rude to Claire, some, something like that, and Rocky, no hesitation, like, next fucking panel, and I'm pretty sure it pretty much goes from him speaking the words to Rocky fucking knocking his teeth out. <laughs> And Rocky's a small kid at the time. You know, I fucking love it. <laughs> there's, this, there's this fucking meme. Um, <laughs> I think this is it. I think this is exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, I just kind of, I like whited out the speech bubbles to, so you can put whatever in there so it can, it can be a fucking meme template. And we have, we have to post that with, with the episode because uh, it's shit funny. <laughs> Let me pull it up. <laughs> <laughs> i really like that it, it's just it's just coming into the panel yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man there's there's some great memes especially in early claymore well one thing i find interesting is despite me not liking the faces everything else is so well drawn yeah like the the hands there's a lot of authors or artists rather that i think you know don't want to draw hands too much because they're difficult and i understand that but it, it's really the hands look awesome the eyes look awesome it's just the shape of the face and the missing nose throws it like it's too good and that's what throws it in uncanny valley right do you, do you know what i mean when i say yeah uncanny yeah. Valley? yeah it's like it's almost perfect it's almost just right like normal like a looking like a normal human but then it's just thrown slightly off by like some attribute um to where it, it it looks like unhuman and creepy i don't know i i think kind of to me the presumption is that it's some creature that's like more intelligent than you that's like imitating you to like you know fucking discreetly do something um yeah I, that's the feeling i always got for like uncanny valley shit that that definitely fits within Claymore of uh, Yoma, but I find it interesting that the faces that like disturb me the most in Claymore are the human faces. Yeah, <laughs> which are sometimes disguised Yoma. Yeah, but yeah, now that you mention it, dude, Claymore fucking draws hands every panel. Holy fuck! Um, yeah, they're crazy. 
Oh, yeah, but I also wanted to say, what was the other time Rocky, like, jumped straight into combat? Oh, with Ophelia. And he... Oh, yeah, that's a really good one. Oh, man, that was one of Rocky's best moments, honestly, was the shit with Ophelia. Oh, fuck, dude. Damn. I really like Ophelia. I wish she had gotten a lot more screen time than she got. Yeah, she was a very good, like, villainous kind of character. And I really like the... that whole like little mini arc of um ophelia and then uh claire losing her arm and meeting up with okay wait is it eilena is it eileen or is it irene because i've seen it so many different ways in the fucking different translations so um i read it the translation i read was alina is it irene no I, I think it's just that in Japanese, the the characters are ambiguous. Uh-huh. It's like the uh, Aerith Aeris thing, if you know about that for Final Fantasy VII. Yeah. And like every, every once in a while you see people like translate Lelouch as Rarouche or something. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so you, you've, you're familiar with her as Eilina? Yeah. Okay, well, I'll just use Eilina then, because that was the first one I saw. Yeah, that was like... When I, the first time I saw her, the translation said Eilina. But yeah, that when Eilina gives Claire her arm um, and teaches her how to use the the quick sword, um, that was really fucking awesome. That I think that was like, a, that was probably my favorite parts of Claymore. It was like that, and then the battle of for Pieta was fucking excellent. And and you know, I'll say for like a little earlier part in the show. The Rabona was pretty good for the early part of the show, just because I'm looking at these screenshots. Yeah. I-, I would definitely say if you're reading Claymore and you get to the Ophelia arc, once you meet Ophelia and like you complete that arc, if you're still not into it, that's definitely your sign to stop because I think that's a high point. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, for it, sure. It like, really shows off the full range of the, the story, right? Yeah. Like, I, I, I think everything before that is, I, I'm going to use, uh, like, the story structure idea here. And what I mean by that is the idea that a story starts in the known world and it takes you into the unknown world. And then right at the end, you go back to the known world. Yeah. Do you, are you kind of aware of that story structure? Yeah, for sure. Um, it's like the basis for like stuff like the heroic journey and blah, 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 blah. So I really think the, the beginning of Claymore is you have Rocky as like your, your human point of view character and he's that you're fish out of water and it has to kind of slowly immerse you into the world before it starts throwing the really big picture stuff at you. Yeah. Because Claymore has a ton going on. And there's a lot of times I think you can blink and miss something. So I definitely think it requires the buildup. And I think the buildup is good. Like you're right, the Rabona arc's good. Uh, you know, even just like the very start with Claire saving Rocky. It's it's great, right? Yeah. But when he, Ophelia's arc happens, that is the, maybe not the highest point in the manga period, but it's, that's your promise of what you're going to get for the flesh, right? Uh-huh. It, that that's it, it shows you the good elements it shows you it kind of hints at a bunch of other story elements that are gonna like come into play later in the plot and it it gives you uh claire's first big power up yeah which i, I think for like battle shonen is always really important 
it's like if we compare Welcome to Demon School or Rimakun, the dodgeball arc where he tr- actually starts training yeah. is, I think, like the first really strong point of the show. And the same here, I feel like with Claire's power up, uh, learning the quicksword is the the moment it, where she gets to level up, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I also think that's where Claire starts really becoming... Uh, not that she wasn't an interesting character before, but she got, becomes like this very... Um, a very multifaceted, interesting character Yeah, from that point onwards. Right. And I think there's like hints of that before, but that's definitely where it all comes into the limelight. But yeah, uh, as far as the anime goes, I wanted to touch on that real quick because we watched up until, I think, the Ophelia arc in the anime. We watched until they met, or well... Oh, they, make, they met R- Riffle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Okay, the, the anime Ophelia arc definitely stands out to me more than... Uh, the bit we saw of Riffle, or Rifle, or however you say her name. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Uh, okay, I'm just going to take a moment here Although to we, look at... We, oh, didn't, uh, we didn't watch, like, the actual fight with uh, Riffle and Riffle's fucking manslave, Duff, or whatever. <laughs> oh, Duff. Yeah. <laughs> okay, yeah, I was just going to look up how far the anime takes it, because I'm pretty sure it doesn't complete the entire manga. Yeah. Okay, so it's the first through 11th volumes of the manga over 24 episodes. The remaining two episodes follow an original storyline not found in the manga. Well, um, it, at least if it's volume 11, at least you get the Battle of Paeta. Yeah, that, that looks like basically the last thing that happens before it has to start diverging a little bit. Uh, okay, yeah, maybe that's like they stop it right before the time skip or whatever. Yeah, uh, yeah, it might be that the time skip doesn't happen from the looks of it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I liked the anime. Um, That being said, it is an older anime, and, like, the art for the manga is just so good. Yeah. That I I really feel like that's something that stands out, um, just because how intricate it can get. It's definitely one of those things I think uh, it's a better experience reading, for me at least. Yeah, for sure. Than it was to watch it. Yeah, yeah. I think so, too. And, okay, so I'm looking at my fucking screenshots. When you first meet Teresa and you have, like, young Claire and those fucking bandits are like, oh, you can't fucking kill a human because it's one of your rules. They'll send other Claymores to come kill you. Uh, And then fucking the shot of her, like, shadowy face when one bandit in particular, like, ambushes them in the night. And is about to do something horrible to Claire, like kid Claire. And she says, whether I obey the rule or break it and get killed by my comrades is my choice. Oh, that was such a great one. (laughs) After I finished it, I wanted to kind of freshen up on some of the the earlier parts that I didn't remember as well. Yeah. And I was trying to think, like, what character did I like the most going through that, right? Uh Uh-huh. And at first I was... Like, okay, so let, let's ignore Claire and Rocky for a second, just because they are the main characters and they're in almost every arc, more or less. Yeah. Rocky, maybe less so, but they're they're definitely present in most of the story. So I came upon Jean or Jean. I don't know how you're supposed to say her name. Yeah. That's the... Uh, is she the one with the drill sword? Is yes. that right? Yes, I love Jean. Yeah, she is the one, the like first drill sword user. Yeah, so I I was 
torn between her, uh-huh. the second lady who dual wields claymores. Yeah, um, Deneve? Deneve, yeah. A lot, a lot of the lesser, like, side characters, claymores kind of run together to me. But yeah, I liked her because she used the two swords, and I liked her story. Yeah, I and even how she interacts with other characters I really like. Yeah, I really enjoyed Deneve. Her personality is great. And then I think Helen is like a, a little bit like of a less likable personality, but still, she's still silly. But her humor plays really well off of Deneve, which works out because they're best friends. But and also, then, oh, sorry. Oh, well, I guess just real quick, Jean, yeah, Jean is definitely one of my favorite characters. Um, I love her, like, her honor in saying, like, my life is yours, Claire, because you saved mine. That that kind of, like, honor shit, I fucking love. I love, like, I love in Arumakun when Asmodeus is, like, fully supportive of Aruma and wants to see him become Demon King. Yeah, that shit's, that's, I love that kind of character. Jean or Jean is definitely my my second character. Yeah. But I realized something, which was that Teresa was my favorite character. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Teresa's great. Just and, and she comes on so early because she she's needed to explain Claire's backstory. It it was almost easy to forget just how strong she is of it as of a character. Yeah. And like the, her little moments when she's talking to is Ruble the handler's name? Or is that even... I think that was the handler she was talking to. It might have been another handler. For Ruble's definitely my favorite yeah. of the handlers. Yeah, of course. But, yeah, I, I like her little snarky conversation with her handler, where she kind of implies that she knows that more is going on than, you know, they're telling her. Yeah, oh god, that's something I wanted to bring up. So, when she's, like, talking about that stuff... And she's like, oh, yeah, if, uh, if they don't pay, you're going to send Yoma to destroy them, right? This one implies that, like, the organization is, like, basically monopolizing uh, on this service. And then two, if they can control Yoma, that means that, like, this problem is completely fabricated by them. And that is present super early on in the story. And then that's like a big reveal moment later on in, in the story is is you finally get like solid evidence that this is true and more. There's so many little moments like that where it's like, I really think this mangaka had the story planned out from the start, you know, which I, I don't think you always have to do that, but I definitely think this one was because you can see all this like foreshadowing. I definitely think in, in the case of Claymore that he had everything planned out from the beginning yeah, or very early on. Yeah. And... Well, well, I think you're right. I don't think it's a necessity. I think it's definitely interesting in the sense that he can pepper the story with a lot of foreshadowing. And I think I basically had a feeling about most of the big twists, not all of them. Yeah. But I had like this gut feeling that when I was actually revealed the twist, I was like, oh, yeah, there were all of these things pointing to that. Right. Yeah, definitely. So which feels yeah, good. I mean, yeah, it does feel good. And like it, it's good for you to have the evidence there, even if you don't figure out everything. Yeah. Uh, one thing, other thing I was going to gush about Teresa 
is going back to my whole thing about Rocky's like human element being what makes him strong. Yeah. Right. Is Teresa is the Claymore who is supposed to be the best. And she fights without using her um her demon energy, her Yoki. Yeah. And so it's like purely based on um her like ingenuity, right? Yeah. And I like that Claire kind of picks up on that and fights in a similar way. Yeah, that's great. And to Claire's credit, um, I I love that. And okay, so this kind of ties in with the themes of the show, right? Is Claire is not a normal Claymore because normal Claymores are infused with half Yoma, but instead Claire was infused with remains from Teresa's corpse. So she's one fourth Yoma and like 25% Claire kind of. <laughs> and uh, so. Or 25% uh, Teresa. Sorry. Yeah. 25% Teresa. She's like the most talented and like hardworking warrior, I think in this, in the series. Yes. Yeah, so one thing I like, and it's a, it's a definitely a shonen protagonisty thing. Uh-huh. Is she picks up on a lot of other people's abilities as the, uh, the manga goes on yeah and i i love the collecting powers sort of deal and it being like connected to a character in each case yeah i i really enjoy that too and uh even some of the um member of the seven um the group of seven that you see for like the second half of the series um some of them also pick up on on different uh techniques like gene's drill sword for instance yeah which is great i love the drill sword yeah because the drill sword is just fucking giga drill break but with a big claymore and it's wonderful i fucking love it oh my god so that wasn't ruble is that day there i don't know or is that a completely different one the only reason i think it's day is because day has that fucked up side of his face yeah i don't know but that's um, not ruble though but i love the expression uh, just, just for the, the listeners at home, I had posted the screenshot of the moment Cyborg had mentioned about um, where Teresa implies that she knows that the organization is up to some nefarious shit. And the, the manga definitely signals from the beginning that the organization is nefarious, right? Yeah. Uh, the Claymores call the, the handlers the suspicious men in black. The first handler you see is Ruble, who wears the, like, shady sunglasses and everything. Yeah. And all of the handlers definitely, like, look evil. <laughs> yeah. It's not, like, I don't think that's supposed to be a surprise, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Especially since it's revealed so early on in the Teresa chapter. But I, I love the look that the handler gives Teresa when she implies that they're sending the demons after the villages, right? The Yoma after the villages. Yeah. Because he's... He's smirking at her <laughs> and he's like yeah you're right you better not fucking you know talk too much about that yeah oh man it's great uh... from here on out there may be spoilers there may be spoilers past this point boo yeah oh yeah spoilers oh yeah so i also wanted to say that like you see a lot of really strong awakened beings and like abyssal ones and all oh, one who surpasses an abyssal one um you know and all that kind of shit but 
I still think kind of with what we were talking about, how like the underdog can always kind of like pull something off. I think Claire's fucking like mostly awakened form during the Battle of Paeta could hold its own against the best of the best. If she can like maintain it and can and, you know, someone could like bring her back afterward or whatever, because she's so fast um, in that form and she has like such high offense. It's like it's like fucking a Pokemon with like 200 base speed and attack, you know? So I really like her, um, her blade legs she develops that kind of look like the prosthetic running legs. Yeah. And she does that to like improve her speed. I, I think the only issue with the Claire Awakened form is actually that she has uh, Alina's arm still. I think that's actually her biggest weakness there. Yeah. And I'll explain why. I think that Rocky and Claire have like enough of rapport for him to be able to not be hurt by Awakened Claire in the sense that like um, Priscilla doesn't target little girls. Yeah. I think there would be enough similarity there. But I think the limitation would be that Alina's arm is a separate Awakened Bean. Because if you look at her Alina arm, when it gets awakened, it looks different than the rest of her awakened form, right? Yeah. So it, like, I kind of have a feeling there that that's using a different, because it's using a different, like, Yoma's flesh, uh-huh. that it's less able to be controlled. Whereas Claire using Teresa's flesh and her Yoma flesh is easier for Claire to control they kind of get into it later of it being like the connection of the person you're implanted with uh-huh. with uh the yoma that you are implanted with or in claire's case the claymore yeah okay but purely talking on hypotheticals here if uh because you know claire towards the end of the series gets a lot more familiar with eilina's arm and is able to like synchronize with it better yeah and more effectively use Quicksword uh, after she's like started using other techniques like the Wind Sword as well with that arm, you know. So it's it's like become more of her arm at that point in her like awakened form. I think it serves her well because she has like two different like kinds of attack, I guess, rather than just like you know a pair of arms that do the same thing, right. And that is one really cool thing. I I really like asymmetrical designs like that. Yeah. They're always fun. And what what would you say, besides Claire, like, it, it seems kind of obvious that the main character would have a really strong design. Aside from Claire, who is, like, your favorite Awakened one? Oh, that's a good question. Okay, so I'm going to start naming some good contenders. All right. So, Ophelia. Um, she's, like, a long serpenty thing with wings, and uh, I also like her hair. Yeah, I really like the giant, like, Leviathan-esque serpent uh, design. Um, Regaldo's kind of a handsome lion, but at the same time, it's like, there are more impressive designs. He's a very basic design compared to some of the really overly, not overly, the very complex, intricate designs you can get for some of the Awakened ones. And speaking of that, that transitions to my next contender, which is Isley. Because Isley's design, uh-huh, yeah, it's it's not as complex as some of them get, but it's got a good balance of complex and then, like, familiar. So I really like Isley's design. 
it's really strong and i like the the centaur look that he gets yeah and uh he reminds me of who is the um the sort of the centaur demon and berserk do you know who i'm talking about um irving the archer irving do you remember him yeah i think so yeah yeah so this is his i'll just post a picture of you for reference that's his like fully demon form yeah and, and he he was fucking hanging out with uh with what's her face the oracle which is really cool because i i always like seeing more of the oracle yeah so as far as i i do love the oracle and i would love to do a berserk episode hell yeah maybe once berserk's actually finished yeah or maybe we could do uh, i don't know we might have to break it up anyway it's a fucking long yeah we're gonna have uh, to break it up into arcs yeah, like do one for each arc or something. Yeah, we can like in the broad sense of like the golden age, and then yeah, we'll probably we'll probably tie in uh, Black Swordsman to Golden Age just because Black Swordsman's so short. Yeah, and I think Black Swordsman and Golden Age would be a good way to introduce what Berserk is. Yeah. Anyway, so yeah, I just think that his design reminds me a lot of Isley's awakened form in the sense that they're both archers and they both sort of have the centaur-ish design to them. Yeah. And that they're both more affably evil characters, or maybe they're even not quite evil, depending on how you look at them, but like they're more they're more friendly characters, despite being bad guys, right? Yeah. Okay. I just I just found my favorite awakened one design. Oh yeah? Yeah. It's Miata. Oh, you bitch! I was gonna say the same thing. <laughs> I, I had brought it up specifically. Yes, in, in fact, that is. Uh, I think I was gonna post a a page before or after that. Yeah, but that I had in mind. But yes, so I brought that up specifically because I was thinking of Miata's cool like angel dragon form. Yeah, it's sick. I love it. <laughs> and i'll i'll give a quick little shouts out to uh to when you actually get a good shot of like full priscilla um it's good you know it definitely gives off like a oni fucking crazy demon kind of vibe with the one horn and everything and the wings and shit but yeah i'm kind of sad i feel like you get better shots better like of shots of priscilla looking good in the fight leading up to her being sealed with claire than you do in the final fight when priscilla gets killed i agree with that i i definitely think there's more dynamic shots and panels and everything yeah i will say um one character that i like the design of that's not an awakened one or at least i don't think he's considered is uh dalf or doff uh-huh is he actually an awakened one yeah what do you mean? Oh, okay, is he? Yeah, well, uh, yeah, yeah, oh, he's oh, an awakened right. one. Okay, no, he's part of. Okay, he's a yeah, male he's warrior. Part of Isley's generation. Yeah. Yes. Okay, I guess for some reason I just thought that he was like one of the like custom built Yoma that uh, Raful made, since like she had a relationship with him. But, okay, custom yeah, I guess. Built Yoma. Yeah, I do like Doff, uh, and I guess he is an awakened. Wait, what's a custom? Well, like, because Riffle is, a, like, one of the abyssal ones, right? Yeah. So I, I guess what I was thinking in the sense that, like, he was just a... I guess there's not really a difference once 
Are all the Awakened Ones former Claymores? Yeah. Is that right? Yeah, that's the okay, that's yeah, yeah. only qualifier is that they were a that, that's, warrior. That's what I, I guess what I was thinking is that Doth wasn't a former Claymore. And then I thought about it. I was like, no, he was part of Isley's generation. That's right. Yeah. I really like uh, Riffle's design. Yeah, she's pretty cool. It, it's like, it's a really simple design, but like her character is really fun. And then when you get to see her go all out, it's a really like interesting uh thing yeah dude and i like the the super riffle that or the riffle baby or whatever that has doff and riffles powers uh-huh that's really fun okay i'm looking back at um when you first meet ophelia and the the awakened one that claire and ophelia are supposed to be fighting together um she looks very like bloodborne um uh what, what is it called nurse of murgo um yeah if you hold on maybe i'll i'll let me post this and discord i feel bad this is a podcast and we're sitting here fucking exchanging screenshots god damn it i'll probably cut some of this down and i'll probably have a fucking tweet thread under the episode with all the different designs we talk about yeah that'll be fine uh, we're, we're running long anyway so that's fine yeah so um let me post this <laughs> Yeah, with the real, but she has like the really long neck, and it's a cool like. Yeah, is it? Can I wait? Can I post multiple? Because this is really good. Bam. <coughs> Blood, born. Mergo's wet nurse. That's that's what. Okay, yeah, those have a a pretty similar look to them. That's pretty cool. Oh, one thing uh, with that shot of uh, Claire in the water using her quicksword. Uh huh. Which is definitely a screenshot I'll post on our Twitter. So to make that many cuts in the water and for them all to be visible, she would have to be going, I think it might be like Mach 40,000 or something. Uh, I'm looking at someone's math here and I don't know how accurate that is. Damn. She's going like a very, very close to light speed with how fast she must be moving her sword here for the water to have not closed back into water, right? Yeah. For that many slashes. That's just kind of an interesting to think about thing to think about that like Claire's moving her sword an important fraction of r- light speed. Hell yeah, that's some that's some good anime shit. <laughs> <laughs> that's some good, uh, you know, just completely absurd speed. I love it. Yes. Let's go ahead and try to do the sort of rating system we talked about. And we okay. can kind of explain it as we go along. Okay, yeah, so here's what I want to do, right? Here, Here's what I think I would like. I really like the hot and cold plus the um, easy hard. So for Claymore, I think, hmm, cold medium? Because may, maybe cold easy. I don't know. It, it's It's cold easy in the sense of it's like one fight after the next, like I was talking about earlier. Um, so it, it definitely keeps you engaged, but yeah, the, the, the story is pretty layered. I would say I, I would. So let, let me try to explain that are two scales there that you've got cold and hot, which are the, in the sense of, I would say hot is more along the lines of action, which Claymore has, but I think you could have cold action and hot action. And I guess like hot blooded versus cold blooded is what we're talking about. Yeah. So I definitely feel in that sense, Claymore is cold. It's a lot, it's a, there's a lot of dread. There's a lot of despair. There's not a lot of hope. 
Gurren Lagan is a great example of a hot anime. And I, I would definitely say one of the qualifying features there, or one of the things that helps something be hot, would be like the comedy involved. Yeah, the the positivity, the like enthusiasm. I think enthusiasm is really big, and like you know, yeah, the comedy and the sexiness. Uh, you don't have to have sexiness to be hot, but like that adds to it, I guess. Yes, yes, I agree. And so I, I definitely don't want to say that like one side or the other is only has those properties, but I think it's an easy way to explain it to people that I think most people can grasp. Right. So yes, yeah, so I definitely say Claymore is a colder anime. It is cold-blooded, yeah, let's yeah. say. Okay, then e- for easy and hard, I like those in that they're easy words to understand, but I'm not sure I like the connotations, if that makes sense, because I don't want it to be implied that like an easy anime is somehow less accessible. But maybe easy and hard is just what we should use. Or like uh, maybe if you want to think of it in different ways, in different terms, there's media where you have to delve into it and like consider a lot to really get the full meaning out of it. And I would consider that to be like a, a, a deep pool, right? Yeah. Where you can dive all the way into the bottom. And I would consider um, the easy aspect to be like forthrightness with its plot. Right. And I think Claymore has a lot of things that it's very forthright about. Uh-huh. Like how we talked earlier about it's it doesn't try to hide the fact that I think the organization is basically evil from the beginning, right? Yeah. However, I do think there's a couple of elements, so I think media might be the right call there, in the sense that there is a there's a lot of deeper things that it it won't say outright and it just expects you to either figure out or it's not going to tell you. I think one of the easy ones to explain this to people who might not grasp what I'm saying is that Claire, the main character, has a very strategic mind, but you're not going to be given her like internal monologues for the her strategy, right? Yeah. And in the same way, you're not going to have like Rocky on the sidelines fucking giving you the play by play of what she's doing, which I think is like the normal shonen uh, way to handle that. Right. And so in that sense, I do think there's a little bit of depth there. There's a little bit of like difficulty in understanding the full implications. But otherwise, I think Claymore is a very straightforward manga with how it presents its story. Right. So I think those are those are two good scales. I think those are the primary ones we should use. Yeah, okay. And so then I wanted to throw in a third scale afterwards. So th- I guess this is kind of to counteract like what you're talking about earlier, which is uh, you know, I don't want anyone to think that just because a show is easy that it's inferior in any way and that like oh, the the more tasteful, the the better art is obviously the hard. Um, because like, I would say Gurren Lagann is a example that would definitely be hot, easy, right? But Gurren Lagann is like, for me, one of my most inspirational shows. Um, so I, I value it as like fucking 10 out of 10 masterpiece level art and it's easy. You know what I mean? Yes. I I definitely think when we say easy or hard, I, I want people to think about, how much you personally as the viewer or reader want to be thinking about the the story you're being given right 
Yeah. If if you like, like, I, I would say like Higurashi with mysteries. Mysteries, I think, by their nature, tend to be harder. Uh-huh. And it's like, if you like that kind of thing, the extra depth is uh, a treat. Yeah. And uh, just to use an example, like, Dark Souls, the way it drips out its story with item descriptions and not really telling you anything directly is hard. Yeah. But that doesn't definitely make it better than something that's easy and just gives you the story. Yeah, and I think uh, a good example of that would be then Sekiro, because Sekiro gives you a lot more of its story and you get to know its characters better. You like get to understand them and you even get to see some development, which is like, well, I, well, I don't want to say... You do see characters develop in, in Dark Souls for sure. Um, so that was that was a poor thing to say. But um, you, you get a more fuller picture of the narrative just by playing the games. And you don't have to dig through item descriptions. Although item descriptions then do fill in some gaps, you know. But yeah, it's, it's like a, it's a more narrative experience, I would say. But it's still fucking excellent. And it's probably, it's probably my favorite Dark Souls game is Sekiro. And did you have a third scale? Is that what you said? Oh, yeah, yeah, sorry. Yeah, so to tie this all together, my third scale was going to be a 1 to 10 love scale. So this is purely subjective. Like, this is just me. I love this show this much, right? So it's not like a, this isn't a fucking objective 1 out of 10. It's just like, me personally, this is my favorite. This is my fucking third favorite, you know, whatever. Um, so I would say, like, Gurren Lagan, 10 out of 10. Um, I think Claymore, for me, I think it might be like an 8.5. I think it's better than other things I would consider an 8, but I don't know if I love it as much as my other 9s. Like, I, I would I would definitely say, like, Higurashi is a 9 for me. Okay. So, yeah, let, let me just run through some things just to clarify our scale then here. Sure. 1 would be something that we don't love, and 10 would be something we love the most. Yeah. And then on top of that, we're not going by, and I think a lot of people will get caught up in this thinking, the American grade school grading system, five and six are in the middle. Right. If I love something, an average amount, that is a 5.5, right? Yeah. Okay. So I haven't seen this fully through, but I've seen like a good portion of season one. Um, Heidi had me watching this anime where... Uh, this girl is basically dropped into an MMO and she gets like some super powerful bear item. And so she like was wearing, Oh, it's like the bear suit. So she's wearing the bear suit and it's just like this ridiculously powerful item. That's There's only like either a limited amount of, or maybe she has the only one. I don't fucking know. Um, but yeah, so she gets like two bear summons and is just ridiculously OP. And she, um, just walks around doing hero things and it's very light. And so it's like, that to me is like it's like a five because i really enjoyed like just having it on while i was like folding clothes and stuff um but it wasn't like you know it didn't have me super invested i i didn't really care a whole lot it was just like it was fun it was cute it had some silly moments you know and and it was just like lighthearted, i guess okay yeah so i would say personally for me claymore was an eight it, it's not the thing I love the most, but it has enough of the elements I like. I like swords. I like cool fights. I like the really cool, intricate designs. Those are probably like one of my favorite things about Claymore. And one of the things that just stick out to me in a lot of media 
is seeing these really interesting complex designs that like draw the eye in right yeah and so it's definitely it's definitely above average um and it's good and it's great right yeah i don't know if i want to give my love scale for anything we've reviewed previously uh i'll I'll go down the fucking list baby okay but yeah i just want to say real quick i'm kind of teetering between like eight and 8.5 for claymore because i I think he made some good points but yeah i'll fucking go through the list boy higurashi nine love iruma 10 okay i'm trying to think before that dead leaves Uh, dead leaves probably nine um what do we do before dead leaves Oh, there was a <laughs> platter episode. Uh, so like, I, oh fuck, I still need to finish uh, Way of the House Husband. So I guess I can't give a low scale for that. But yeah, go ahead. Iruma is definitely a ten for me. I'll say that. Yeah. I don't know where to put Higarashi because it might be a six for me, and I don't mean that in a bad way. It's just there's things I really love about it, and there's things that I don't like about it, like Rika's character. Yeah, and specifically in Go and Sotsu. Like I'm saying. Go and Sotsu was a six, but there's like arcs and episodes and moments that are tense for me. And then there's points where I'm like rolling my eyes at Rika and like frustrated with her. And that like drags down the experience, but not so much that it's a bad experience, just that it's a good fun experience I want to highlight. So I'm just going to make an observation about my own love scale. I I think that for me the higher something is on my love scale the more like i'd want to rewatch it because i'm thinking about all these things it's like i'd really love to watch dead leaves again i really love to watch higurashi again um i'm most certainly going to rewatch aruma if not two times <laughs> you know dead leaves and gurren Lagann are 11s for me because I'm like completely enamored with the over the top style. Yeah, I I definitely will say Garen Lagan is is a ten or eleven. I I don't know. I, I'm real. I'm really starting to be conflicted. Garen Lagan and Aruma are like battling for my f- absolute favorite anime. Ha ha ha. Well, my favorite will be reviewing soon enough, which is Code Geass. <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> uh, even. I want to say the love scale really really is just our own opinions. Yeah. I I just wanted to highlight that again. I don't want it to make it seem like we're giving a objective rating. And that's why I like the idea of like the, the war, the hot and cold and the easy and hard is I'd rather give people something that like they can understand more than me trying to be like, objectively, this is a 10 out of 10, which it's like, how can you say that really? Right. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I I guess uh I guess the love scale for me is just like a, a little personal preference, but the the hot and cold I, I really do like because they like you said, that's actually giving someone information about the show. Yeah. Me me just telling you that Aruma's ten for my love scale, the only information that's giving you is that I like it. Uh, I'm gonna say that we're eventually going to get to something that we'll review. I'm not thinking of anything in particular here. I just know it's going to, I feel like it's going to happen at least. Uh-huh. And I'm going to rate something like a one or two on the love scale, but think that it's really good or like well-made or well done in some way. Right. Yeah. Uh, I wanted to say that to kind of give people an idea of like where we're coming from or where I'm coming from, at least for the love scale. Yeah. Is that I, I there's going to be some stuff. I'm going to say a, 
a lot of good things about it. And then we're going to get to the end and I'm going to say love scale one. And that doesn't mean you shouldn't watch it. That means I didn't enjoy it or I didn't love it. Right. Yeah. You know, with that said, I think I, I will solidify Claymore as an eight and not an 8.5 because it, it, it does a lot of things really well. I think the very end was kind of weak for me. And that's not to say that I didn't enjoy the ending. I, w- I want to make these two things separate. It's just that the fights at the end where, like, they were fighting the three um, awakened ones of the resurrected monstrosities, you know, of the previous number ones. Um, those fights were like, eh, they're okay. You know, the Priscilla shit, all, all of that Priscilla shit was just like, eh, it's okay. Then, you know, Teresa comes out and it's like, oh, man. Uh, we get some cool shit of, like, Teresa just absolutely flexing on Priscilla, right? Like, don't get me wrong, I was glad to see it, but, you know, it, it wasn't like a, it, it never really felt like a, um, a losable fight there at the end. Once, once Teresa out, was out, it was like, it's, it's not losable. It's, it's literally only winnable. And, you know, they kept, like, throwing in Helen saying, like, oh my gosh, shouldn't she finish her off instead of turning around talking to us? Like, what the fuck is she doing? Oh my gosh, she's gonna get stronger, she's gonna regenerate more. And it's like, I didn't care the whole time. I was like, Teresa is toying with Priscilla, okay? Teresa is fucking sucking Priscilla dry of all of her hatred. Yeah, so, and I loved it because it was like, you get to see Teresa like flexing all of her best attributes, which also happened to be like, she's getting some from Claire. Like, I think you said like Claire picks up other people's abilities and that, I think that also is a trait that Teresa has previously had, but like, I think it, it kind of compounds, you know? And so she's like immediately able to just like look at Cassandra's movements and be like, Hey, I can try that. I can try to utilize that. Right. Um, which is really cool. But yeah, none of those fights like really stuck out to me the way that like the fucking Pieta fight did or like the early fight with Doff with Gene, you know, like, holy shit, those fights were crazy. I I think the issue might be and it's not even so much as an issue is that like series like these, you have to I I guess you don't have to, but it's generally best practice to continue to raise the stakes and like make things bigger and grander because that's what people expect yeah and so by the time you get to the end it does there's a lot of characters going on there's a lot of uh, different elements at play there's a lot of different people fighting that it takes away from like some of the early like more personal fights yeah that you can like focus on one or two characters and like really delve into how they work right yeah for sure and even with the battle of paeta even though there were i guess the battle of paeta was just a more manageable size of uh like a group and so they were able to show off a lot of different techniques and they you know they gave you like some good gene action and they gave you some great fucking Claire moments as well as some great Miria moments. And Helen and Deneve do their thing. Which that's another strength of Claymore is is uh, the like group attacks, you know? Or the, you know, two, even if it's just two people attacking together. Dude, those are excellent. 
So spoiler reason of like what is Claymore is when you get to the point where the Claymores are having to work together to take on Awakened Ones and they have to do that as a group, it starts to feel a lot like Monster Hunter to me. Yeah. In the sense that it's a it's a teamwork exercise of of, of all these weaker warriors taking on something that's way more powerful than them, right? Yeah. And it kind of goes back to the whole skill thing that I was talking about at the beginning of the episode, but it was just something as far as like the the teamwork dynamics go and the group attacks, like you said, those are things that really make Claymore what it is compared yeah. to other battle stuff, I think. Battle Shonen and Seinen and all that. Dude, think about the first great fucking drill sword you get when Claire uh, and Galatea fucking attack the hands to, or the wings or whatever to hold him back. Uh, or uh, Yeah, I guess it was Dolph, so it was hands. Um, yeah, fucking hold back his hands to make a clear shot for Gene to go straight through his fucking neck. Oh, dude, that was the money shot, baby. That was the money shot. <laughs> I love all the different ways that the they end up doing those those combo attacks and little tricks to take on the awakened ones too. Yeah, it, it's always it's so enjoyable, and I think that teamwork dynamic is something that isn't overly present in a lot of battle shonen because a lot of battle shonen it comes down to like these one versus one fights yeah whereas like i don't think claymore really has the implication most of the time that any of your like heroic side could one versus one any of the villains the villains are always up to a point which is like Teresa versus priscilla is are just completely outclassing the good guys yeah And one of the things I came across was if Claire and Guts switch universes, and I'm not even going to fucking open the thread. I want to hear our opinions on it. If Claire and Guts switch... Okay, wait. What stage of the story Guts are we talking about? We're talking about Guts in his most powerful berserk armor um, state. Oh my like, god. Like, has a berserk armor, and we're talking about he's on the fucking fairy island, and this is as strong as we've seen Guts, right? Yeah. No, no, no. Not on the... I would say just before the fairy island, for what we've seen, right? Uh, I would say just before the fairy island, when he's doing the... When he's killing the fucking sea god? I think that's the strongest we've ever seen Guts. Okay. Yeah. So, let's say sea god... Just the most powerful guts you can imagine. So, like, when he's fighting the sea god. Yeah. Gets put into the Claymore universe. And Claire, at her most powerful, is put into the um, Berserk universe. Okay, wait. Are we talking about Teresa? <laughs> or are we talking about, like, Awaken Claire from uh, the Battle of Pieta? Um. Well, with uh, I'll say, oh, wait, I'll say this. Awaken Claire, we'll, we'll give her some buffs, even though you don't see this in the story. But what we were talking about earlier, Awaken Claire, but she has like all the experience of what we've seen in the story. Yes, let's say end of the story Claire, but she has, because of her connection with Teresa, has an ability to stay connected to her humanity for her awakened form, kind of in a similar way to Guts and the Berserk armor being uh, bound by Shirk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Man, that's a good uh, parallel. It is. And so I really like that, actually, huh? Um, so, one, do you think one of them would have an advantage now that they're in a different universe? Like, do you think one just obviously, uh, like, stops on that person's universe because they're just so much stronger? I think it's kind of hard to describe, but I almost feel like they're both OP in this situation because, like, Guts is full-on like a brute forcer right yeah and that is not how awakened ones like fight they fight like they're the fucking big dog and they're trying to kill rats you know and the rats are like mounting counterattacks. um is is how i feel about it um so i i think from that standpoint and from just the standpoint of like guts can fucking fly at you and cleave you in half with his giant fucking sword and monstrous strength that like rivals like the limits of what a human can be um especially with the berserker armor like like pushing him past like where normal humans could go because it, it it like you kind of how it's described in the manga is you're unrestrained um so you can use like the full amount of your strength whereas like a a normal human i guess wouldn't be able to use uh wouldn't be able to fucking crunch their legs and you know launch themselves off a wall at fucking mach 4 or whatever you know (laughs) but yeah so i i think you know so guts would be super strong against like fighting awakened ones and shit and he would like be enduring shit and doing crazy stuff like absorbing lightning by sticking his his dragon slayer into the ground that was so fucking lit um and then so to talk about claire and berserk it's she's a fucking speed demon right like she can attack incredibly fast and incredibly rapidly and she can like dash around um at speeds like way faster than guts would ever be able to and so I, I think she would fucking make clean work of apostles. I think she could probably kill Zod pretty easily um, just because of like how fast she is and her fu- I, like, I don't know how you would treat like Claymore's um, the actual weapon because uh, their swords are like they don't fucking dull, you know? So, yeah, I don't know how, how strong we want to treat that actual weapon, but even just like her awakened beings, like little blade arms or whatever, I think could probably fuck up zod maybe cut off that other horn you know what i'm saying yeah so guts is definitely better equipped for fighting these these large monsters so i think you're right that he would have enough experience that fighting an awakened one would it be different for him yeah it's very similar to fighting an apostle um because of like the huge like power differential and their uh their immense size you know so because they have like demonic otherworldly powers so yeah i I think he's very he's very used to fighting he's specifically trained to fighting them almost like at this point in the the by the time he's fucking literally killing a sea god which i think is i think i think it's fair to say it's more terrifying than like not like aesthetically terrifying but it's more like powerful than anything you see in claymore it's on just a completely different scale. 
Yeah, yeah, for sure. And so, like, that being said, I don't think Claire could kill Griffith. I don't know how the fuck anyone's going to kill Griffith, to be honest with you. Um, it's going to have to, like, they're going to have to introduce some kind of, or, or, you know, hopefully there's, like, foreshadowing for it or whatever, but they're going to have to introduce some kind of way to uh, some vulnerability of Griffith's for him to ever be defeated. Because he's, I mean, he literally folded Ganishka instantly. Yeah. So I, I think one advantage that Guts also would have, um, despite, like, not having the speed of a Claymore is that he doesn't rely on Yoki energy at all. In fact, he doesn't really rely on magic at all, unless, like, you consider the Berserk armor. Yeah. So he would be something, like, completely alien to a lot of the... The Claymores and the Awakened Ones get very specialized, uh, specifically with fighting with Yoki energy, and then it's shown that the the characters that don't uh, use Yoki energy or, like, suppress their Yoki energy are harder to fight. Case of point, Teresa Claire kind of deal. And so I, I, Guts has an advantage there. He's better at fighting large opponents. Um, Claire, I definitely think Claire would just fucking wipe the facade. I don't think Zod could keep up with it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I think, I think most certainly one on one she can kill like any apostle. And then if you go into like Griffith organi- organizing like an elite squad of like really good apostles, then I think Claire would need help, but. Yeah, she could probably even take on, like, two or three of them at once. So so here's what I want to imagine, is Shirk supporting Claire to fight Griffith's army. <laughs> Hell yeah. Like, you get to see fully awakened Claire with Shirk running support for Claire. Fuck yeah. I think that would be unstoppable. I, I mean, if you can keep Claire in check, then, like, I, I guess the only other thing she'd really need is... um is another claymore to help her regenerate because claire's an offensive type but yeah sure could heal her i mean yeah that's not as good as regeneration or as quick as regeneration but well yeah i just meant to like fully reach her like truest potential yeah but yeah yeah you're right um uh sure couldn't heal her and they they would be pretty fucking gnarly um although i i do think that like at this point granted it takes a heavy fucking toll on him because it it, guts usually needs like months it seems like sometimes to recover from these really intense battles but you know i i do think once he's recovered guts plus shirk have can do some really fucking crazy things and i think i think guts plus shirk with like guts fighting uh zod without other interference like the fucking ground crumbling beneath his feet and a bunch of other apostles pouring out and demonic energy and Griffith and all that shit. I, I think if it was just like one-on-one Guts and Zod and, well, Guts and Shirk versus Zod, then Guts and Shirk would win. I think that's fair. I definitely think that's going to be the moment in the Zerk where that, that's going to be more satisfying than him beating Griffith for me, is beating Zod. Zod has been an opponent longer than Griffith, right? Yeah, it's like Griffith cut guts deeper, but the the friendly rivalry with Zod has always been like a a draw for me, and so I yeah. definitely think that's going to be the point where the the anime shows me that guts is like completely leveled up would be him beating Zod. 
Yeah, and it's kind of like, um, like you know, in fucking Zelda 2 at the end when they make you fight Shadow You. Yeah. It's like, that's such a cooler fight than any of the other fights, really, because, like, you know, it's your kind of warrior, I guess. Whereas, like, Griffith is, like, oh, magical fucking telekinesis-ass deflection of shit. You know what I mean? Like, Griffith is doing some weird-ass god shit. So him fighting zod who is still demonic and has like otherworldly like strength and and size and shit and speed and he can fucking fly it feels like guts conquering the better version of himself like physically you know yes i i definitely get what you mean as far as like the equivalent type of the mirror match not quite mirror match but the equivalent type of warriors fighting each other right and it's, it'd, it'd be like a, a Jedi, a fucking lightsaber focused Jedi conquering a lightsaber focused Sith, you know? Right. And it's, I think, maybe one of the motivations towards the end of Claymore that you get the, I'm going to say the more subdued fight with Teresa and Priscilla. Uh-huh. Like if you, it, and what I mean by that is like, if you look at everything that led up to it, the monsters are getting completely out of hand. We talked about Miata's design earlier. Yeah. And in that screenshot, you can see what the, is that one of the, the like robot guardians or whatever they are. And uh, Miata, is that right? Oh yeah. Yeah. The, um, that weird awakened one that looks like a fucking robot. Yeah. So like those designs are just completely like alien at that point. They're not recognizably human in any way. Right. Yeah. And they're really cool. And I like them. But I do think there is, like, a, a appeal to, like, if you want to see Claire overcoming someone, it's not the the dragon that I need to see Claire overcome, right? Right. Like, she's already fought plenty of, like, you know, what, I, what I'm saying there is, like, the, the in the sense of, like, uh, a dragon slayer slaying a dragon, right? Yeah, she fucking killed Awakened Ophelia and laid low to Dauf, Dauf, whatever the fuck his name is um yeah so yeah I, I definitely agree so i think that might be one reason that like that last fight's more subdued is that there is kind of like a a satisfaction to seeing your your character overcome someone who's very much like them because it's like the most one-on-one match of their abilities uh uh-huh. instead of being like comparing apples and just you're comparing an apple with another apple yeah hell yeah your rank 47 plus ratio plus you let a tween suck your titty plus you still have color in your hair 